I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast that talks about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Kay. She has muscular dystrophy. Let's talk about it. Yeah, she was like, you guys want another round of shots when we go back up? Yeah. On me. <laughs> I was like, we were all just like, yeah, do it up. So, man, uh, you guys are animals, man. Yeah, it was like uh, nonstop. It was a lot. It was a lot. And sleep has been not that sleep's been a pretty, a pretty uh, rare commodity um, over the last 10 days as we've been on the road. Just like, yeah, just like when you're hopping around and you take a flight. And then it's a red eye, and you don't sleep on the red eye, and you ch- change time <laughs> And then once zones. you land, you got to run around and do yeah. all your stuff. So it's just been like... I know. That's what I'm like. Jeremy texted me during MCing, and my mind was like, why? Because you're like just working. I wouldn't even touch my phone. I'm like, oh, you're an animal. You don't the, stop. No, that job was pretty low-key. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it I thought was, it was like a big thing, and I'm like, you are just... It was like a party, and so oh, I was just, okay. just kind of hanging out. Oh, my God. I yeah. thought you were just like... I don't know. You guys no. seem like you don't stop. Well, we haven't we for don't. the last little bit. As you can probably stop. hear from the sound of my fucking voice. Dude, your voice has been getting progressively worse. It's really worse bad, and I don't know how I'm going to do a live show tomorrow night. I think you turn me on. I think you're just doing it for attention. Yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> just doing it for the attention. Um, but I'm excited because, A, this is our last recording of this little tour we've been on. What a backhanded compliment that no, was. No, no, no. Not like that. <laughs> I just mean that this is what a perfect way to cap it all off by sitting here with our new friend, Kay. Is it Kay? My full name is Kay Lang, but Kay my nickname Lang. is Kay. Yeah, it's just easier. Kay is pretty easy. Kay is really easy. It's too easy. You like, your voice sounds hilarious. You were like, hey, <laughs> Kay Tran. Kay, Kay Tran? Yeah, because your last name's Tran, and I was like, hey, Kay Tran, and I was like, wait, did I basically just do like, hello, Jeremy Saunders, like call you by your first and last name? No one does that. It's weird though, because like I love my name, Kayling, but people can't say it. So it's just like, hey, Kay. It's Who just the easy. fuck can't say Kayling? Lots of people it's, can't. Yeah, so you'd be pretty, really surprised. Kayling? Yeah, and I have a hyphen in my name. So it's very, uh, it like literally phonetically spelt out for you. It's like really, really easy. <laughs> Super easy. But people be like, Caitlin? I'd be like, yeah. You know, sure. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> or I get Kai a lot too. Right. Yeah. yeah. So my girlfriend goes by Kai. Sorry. Yeah. It's a beautiful name. It's just not my name. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, like, thank you, but but no, well, thank you. It got to the Kyle point where I'm really just like, yeah, that. yeah, I'll I'll answer to that. Mm. It's not um, a big deal. So we're we're sitting in a in the Hyatt in downtown Toronto with a beautiful view of the CN Tower, and uh, lucky for us. This venue that we are recording in with you <laughs> is quote unquote uh, accessible. Kind of. Which is sort of important for you. That's why I did depending the quote on, unquote. Depending on what elevator you take. Yeah, so we get here and we're like, oh, great. We're in a hotel. K Tran will come up 
the elevator and walk right to our room. We get off the fucking elevator and there's a set of stairs. Like two steps, like, like three, three steps. steps off the elevator to get to the hallway. But two of the elevators are at the top of the stairs and two of the elevators are at the bottom. Yeah. So I ended up taking the one that was at the bottom. Uh. So I had to still go up those, but my boyfriend just carried me anyways. Is well, that like a moment where you go where you're like, oh, we're in a hotel. I'm taking the elevator. It's like, I it's was like, just at ease. I was like, I trust these guys. They won't do this to me. And then <laughs> I go and I was like, oh, all but right. But like, it just like in the sense that you, you get on an elevator and it's like, oh, by nature of it being an elevator, it's accessible. And then you get off the elevator and you're just like, oh, what the, what the fuck? You'd be really surprised. <laughs> I went to uh, this tattoo shop and it was... Uh, in the basement and my partner had to carry me down but we went to the bathroom and it's so funny because it had like um, an accessible sign but I'm like you had to go down like 10 flights of stairs to like even right. get to the bathroom so I'm like what's the point of the sign it's not really accessible yeah it doesn't really make yeah. any and sense and even if you wanted to get a wheelchair in there it would be so tight that it just like it's not accessible but I think a lot of places are grandfathered so you can technically just like put on some bars and then be like yeah and they'll right. like yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, we were talking about the like right before we started recording. We were, we were we were chatting with somebody a few years ago with MS, and um, and a big topic of conversation was, and he was here in Toronto, was um, old buildings. Um, you know, like you said, grandfathered businesses mm-hmm. that you know they don't have to follow the same sort of regulations as you would if you were going to build something new right now, and how inaccessible things are, and to a degree that to a degree that like uh, that that I wouldn't think about accessibility because when I think about accessibility uh, my my I jump to like I jump to people in wheelchairs that's where I go to and so you kind of think of like like ramps and then and then I remember we were talking about just the little riser that tends to be on every entranceway Street, street. Do you entry. mean like ledge? Yeah, like, like okay. it's like like a two or three inch. Well, that was that was an initiative called Stop the Gap, and so they started throwing those down all along businesses, like especially down like Queen, you know. So where like there is that little ledge where it's like uh, maybe a I don't like know maybe like a, yeah riser. five four inch like little step up mm-hmm. that would prevent you know or make it very challenging for someone using a wheelchair to get in there, even or, like an inch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really challenging. And so for me. around that time when we had that conversation was when those little ramps were being basically just chucked out to all these places mm-hmm. and they were just putting them in the front of their yeah. their shop. And Katie, just not, and, and go ahead, bro. So I was just gonna say, um, do you do you use a wheelchair ever? Sometimes. Airports, um, long distances, like maybe a fundraiser walk. Okay. But generally I try to walk and I'll walk with someone. So I'm not opposed to it. It's just I'm going to try to move as much as I can while mm-hmm. I can. Okay. Why, don't, why don't we just say for the listeners, I was gonna say um, that too, yeah. why, why is accessibility so important to you? And why would you be needing to use a wheelchair or, uh, you know, you came in here with a cane? Why is it important? Well, what do, what do you have? You're sick with. Oh. <laughs> Why All do right, you use this? Okay. Yeah. Well, we started this off a little bit different, it seems. She's like, what the fuck? I thought you guys knew. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Uh, I have muscular dystrophy. So what that is, is it's a, an umbrella term to describe a group of muscle wasting diseases. And there are over 160 different types of neuromuscular disorders, which is a lot, Whoa. it seems. That is a lot. Yeah, yeah right. So uh, then if. 
uh, you go down this like flow chart, I have a subtype called limb girdle muscular dystrophy. Limb girdle. Limb girdle. So that affects my shoulders and my hips. Um, and that means I can't run, I can't climb stairs, I can't tippy toe, I can't jump, I can't squat, I can't carry things. Um, yeah, and, like, and what, like, and what's going, like, what is it in your hips and your shoulders that is that like, like, is there a, is it like a group of muscles that aren't really doing the, doing? Yeah, the, my shoulders and my hips. Yeah. And like, so just everything in there is just. Is is it that it's not working or it's just not working well or it's progressively getting it's worse like, or it's like both. So what it is, it's a mutation in a gene. I believe it's the DYSF gene. And when there's a mutation, it can't really create the protein called dysferlin. And so with incorrect information, it either doesn't get created at all mm-hmm. or it gets created improperly. Mm-hmm. So then it leads to muscle damage. Okay. So basically over time, the muscles just start to waste. Waste or just weaken. Right. And they don't repair and they can't. Um, and there's no cure for it right now. And is it, prog- is it progressive? It is, is it progressive. Yeah. yeah. So there's varying degrees of how fast it will progress. Mine is slow and non-life-threatening, so I'm super lucky. But then there are other ones that are more severe and they happen at birth. Uh, at what point did this uh, start presenting itself in your oh, body? Oh, man. Like when I was 14. And it was so subtle, I didn't even think anything was wrong. So the first thing to go was definitely like, I couldn't tippy-toe. But like I'm like, ever? who the fuck is tippy-toe? You no, know, no, I could. But then around that time, okay, I couldn't. So I was like, that's weird. Maybe it's a bad day. But how often are you like doing it, right? Right, so, yeah. Like it's so subtle. <laughs> and um, the other thing is like climbing stairs two steps at a time. Uh-huh. So... Um, yeah, that was also very subtle, but I was still like moving normally, just a bit slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it really dawned on me when climbing stairs just became really like difficult and I started to lose my balance and I started to fall. What did it take? Like, what did it, what, at what point did you go, did you stop thinking to yourself that something is up and you spoke up about it? And- well, here's the thing. Everyone told me nothing was wrong with me because it's like I was still functional, like I was moving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no one really knew what was happening. And my family, of course, like there's no history of it happening. Um, and they were like, yeah, you're just lazy. Like you're 14. They're like, you're on the computer too much. You don't do anything. And I'm like, yeah, I'm very athletic, actually. So I thought that was weird. But um, running just felt like I was running through quicksand. I was still running, like mm-hmm. jogging. Yeah. The effort just felt like I ran a mile and I moved like <laughs> a few meters, you know? Whoa. Like, is it, is it, um, I, I, I'm trying to like relate to that feeling. Like I've, I've felt something similar to that. Like when I'm just completely fatigued yeah. from working out and then trying to like, or like I'll go to a, there's this class that I, I go to back home. It's the Moto Fit class. And the whole thing is just, it's just fucking squats. That's all it is. It's like a thousand squats in 45 minutes. And going downstairs <laughs> after that class, I feel like I, I oh. feel like my legs are just about to yeah. literally give out underneath me. But here's the thing. You probably feel sore, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a soreness, but also like a... Um, you mean like a right shakiness. after. There's like right, a, there's like a I mean fit, immediately Like after. a major fatigue. The yeah. soreness would set in the next day. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. I don't feel too much of that because the muscle's gone, so I, I don't even feel anything sometimes. It's just like wobbly. It just wobbly. won't do wow. it. Yeah, I almost don't feel it. So yeah. um, I think one of the side effects is definitely numbness. 
And it will be so cold out and I won't feel cold until I put my hands on my leg and I'd be like, shit, that's like ice cold. Oh, so there's a bit of a disconnect where like, I'm like, oh my God, it's freezing. I, I, uh, I can, I think I can relate pretty well to that sensation on um, both the accessibility and, and the, and that feeling wise in a, in like a, in the, in terms of a very short window. Um, when I got hit by a car in May, I, <laughs> uh, I was using a wheelchair and accessibility became uh, you know, for, for a short period, like all of a sudden was like thrown in my face and I was like, holy shit, this is, this is crazy. I can't believe that. I can't believe the way that our society is built because like, I can't, it's not I made for I can't disabled really fucking people. Do anything. It's very difficult. And, and on the other side, like the muscular side of, of sitting down on the couch and like watching somebody stand up quickly and like walk across the room. And I was like, wow, that's fucking impressive. Like I wish I could, I wish I could do that, and and you know, sitting on the couch for a really long time, and then go like because my hip was broken and going, and then when I would get up to move, like every everything in my hips and my legs just like didn't seem to work, and it wasn't a soreness. It's kind of like you described. It's just like it just won't do it. Yeah, exactly. I haven't been doing it at all. It's like now more you don't even notice it. It's just almost like a disconnect and yeah. So did you from there? Did you like? You're walking up the stairs. It's getting harder. More I would have difficult. to like pull myself up on the railing. Like I could not do the stairs without holding on to the railing. Okay, and then at that point, do you go to the the doctor and ask them if there's something up? Or you know like, what's fucking it... weird? It was I don't know. I just kind of ignored it. I was just like, nah, I don't know. I'm kind of fine, maybe. And then it, I don't know. I still didn't see a doctor for a while, which was weird because like how long? Uh not until I was 17. Oh wow! Holy so, shit. so you're looking. I was back, in the, I was like fucking lost. So you're looking back on 14 and going, it was probably then when I did the tippy toe and the stairs started to feel a little weird. Like you're just, you don't know, you weren't diagnosed when you were 14. No, you're looking back at that and just going, holy shit! I think Symptoms. that's when it happened. Yeah, crazy. It was very subtle. That's the crazy part, right? So you're just kind of like, oh fuck, maybe I'm just, I'm just tired. I've had a long mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. and then. Um, it just became very apparent when I'd walk and suddenly it felt like I was walking on stilts. Like that's the best way to describe it. When did you, what was the, like the catalyst to, to seek help or seek a doctor? Uh, my oldest brother who was living in a different city, I didn't know he was going through it at the same time, but I guess he had seen me when we were um, hanging out and he told me, he's like, you go, you should go see my doctor. Cause he was experiencing the same symptoms. Your brother, oh, so your oh, brother well. also my oldest has... brother has it. And he's seven years older than me, so whoa, yeah. So and he, I think and he had had it. Like you knew that he had no, it. No, we. I think we were going through the symptoms at the same time, but in different whoa. cities. Oh, trippy. So I think I was too young to realize it or know what was happening. But he was the one who pushed me to go and mm-hmm. get diagnosed. And he did a muscle biopsy. But for me, they're like you're his sister, so we'll just we'll just write it off as the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I was spared getting my leg cut open. That's yeah, nice. right. Biopsies sound like they're awful. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so, but, but wouldn't they need to do that anyway to like actually figure it out? Yeah. I just thought it was a bit lazy of them to like be like, you know, you guys are siblings. It must so. be that same thing. Yeah. So, is it, is it genetic though? Or it hereditary? is. Yeah. So muscular dystrophy is uh, an inherited disease. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, by freak chance, my brother and I got it, but no one else in my family history line like I find that so fascinating. We were talking about that um, the other day. It's the same with um, CF, right? Any any genetic disease Um, that like two people can be walking around with this gene that they're carrying. It doesn't present in them at all. 
then they get together, they have a kid, and and it's like a total toss up as to whether that kid will have the the disease because they're the two gene carriers. I mean, I know I, I feel like we probably take take that that little snippet of science for granted because we just understand that that's how it works. But like, it's crazy, it's just like from the math perspective. It's just by chance. It's like literally a lottery. How many other brothers and sisters do you have? <laughs> I've got eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a. Uh, Four sibling, one half sibling, and the rest are like full blood. Okay, uh, so how old are you now? Twenty eight. Twenty eight. And when when your brother got that biopsy, did they know right away that he had this type of muscular dystrophy? I'm not sure. I think you can literally check your crea- your CK levels, and if it's just extremely high, then you're like, oh, you got MD. So I don't know why they didn't do oh, that to begin with. Yeah, they had like cut into his leg, so he's got this massive scar. But okay. I wonder if technology back then just wasn't, I don't know, advanced enough. Mm-hmm. So they and had then, to do it that and way. then at that point, are they are they like, okay, he tested positive for this. So um, based on the symptoms that you're presenting with, basically exactly. you have the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Strange, right? Yeah. It so, is very bizarre. So what, what, Where, like, what age were you when you got diagnosed? Was it that 17? Seven? It was yeah. 17. Okay. And then, and then what do they tell you at that point? Like, do they just tell you that like you have this type of degenerative uh, muscle disease and like, you know, over time it's just going to get worse and worse and you just have to deal with yeah, it? Yeah, pretty much. It was really depressing. Every doctor visit was just like, well, there's no cure. Um, yep, this is getting weaker. Okay, well, see you next year. And that was it. There was and no- did, you, did you at least find a bit of comfort in like talking to your brother about it? The funny thing is I didn't really talk to him. Really? Well, we didn't live together, but uh, I think I was too young to really accept what was happening to mm-hmm. me, and I just pushed through, and I, I moved out, went to university, and I was just trying to live a normal life without letting this, like, stop me. Mm-hmm. But... Um, were you doing that in, were you doing that in, like, you know, you can do that in a, in a healthy way and an unhealthy way. Exactly, right? and you know? I, I definitely was going down an unhealthy route mm-hmm. by, like completely not embracing it or accepting it. I was just in denial because I was so fearful of how people would treat me and life was already so hard. And like there was, I didn't know anyone around me aside from my brother who had a disability and like they don't teach you about it in school. And so when you think of the word disabled, you think of like the extreme cases. Mm -hmm. So I knew nothing about that world. So to me, I just felt like, oh shit, people don't really look at disabled people like people. And I I felt like, well, my mind works, it's just my body's slow. So mm-hmm. would they just not see that? You know, I just want them to see me. And yeah. so I struggled with that. Like you're 14 getting these symptoms when you're like just developing your personality and finding yourself. But then cool. you're also losing yourself at the same time. So it was like so much tension and stress and frustration, right? So Well, it's, I mean, it's, it, you are being, you know, when you, when you get diagnosed with a, um, with a, with a disease that um, that presents with a physical disability, you are, you know, disabled. Disability or disabled ends up being you end up being categorized again. You end up being like segmented into another little group, and that's really when when you've been in when you've been in this group, and you're like, hey, I'm in this group now. I've, I've been in this group. This is my group, the like quote unquote normal group, whatever you want to call it, and then. 
and then someone goes, oh, you have this. So now, like, you can't really be a part of this normal group anymore. Like, society's going to look at you as, as in this other group and how alienating and shitty that can feel. And we're, and you know, this is a topic for maybe another podcast that we don't have, but that seems to be happening a lot in society in general in terms of segmenting people into groups. And it can be really, sh- it can be, it can be really shitty or it looks like it it would be really shitty. Yeah. So in high school, you would see the, the special needs class and they would be isolated and they'd take the elevator up themselves. And I was like, I don't want to be put there out of my own will. I don't want them to decide for me where I belong and like be isolated and not get to just be me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also felt like I was super privileged because I can still move and like function and have the ability to do lots of things just a bit slower. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to also take that away from people who needed that spot in that class or something or like, I don't know. Were they pushing you to No, I, oh man, it's a dark time. (laughs) Um, In high school, I didn't really talk about it with anyone. I had no one to talk to because it's such a unique disease that there's also just like, if you talk about it, you're just that sad, depressed, what was me girl that like Mm -hmm. people are really going to be like, oh, all you do is talk about that. We can't relate. Like, that's so sad. Like you make us uncomfortable. And that still happens today. Mm People still treat me weird, and I don't. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> Did, were you able to find anybody at that time to talk about it with? No, I I internalized all of it. Mm-hmm. It was weird. That's why I was like so nervous coming into this because I don't talk about it much, and I only kind of started talking about it in the last year and a half, which is crazy, right? And it has that. How how has how have things changed for you over the last year and a half of opening up and being more? be more open to it oh man like so much weight was lifted i didn't have to like hide it anymore or like carry the weight by myself um i made it a mission to be more vocal about it and people have reached out to me from all over the world and it's just so amazing Mm. and i'm really glad i can you know talk to these people who are in my shoes so they don't have to be alone because man i did this to myself and i suffered through all my teens (laughs) With it. What are you doing to be more vocal? Um, just put, like <laughs> writing more about my experiences. I'll do it through Instagram mostly. Um, and I did an article with Now Toronto, or sorry, Now Magazine, but mm-hmm. uh, I talk about my dating experiences as someone living with a disability. Um, apparently, that's not really spoken about. <laughs> so mm-hmm. people find that article super interesting and they find me through there. I went on Reddit. So I'm just kind of reaching out on the internet and I'm slowly getting there. It's a, the, the dating and sexuality part of, of, of being sick, having a disability, um, uh, whatever it is. We were, we were speaking at a conference the other day and, and we do a Q&A after we do our keynote. And um, one of the questions that was asked was, hey, like, how do you guys, and this was to a, just, for context, this is to a, to a bunch of psychologists and psychiatrists who work in um, in oncology, and and they were asking us how to broach the subject of sexuality with people who are sick, and it was like, how do you do that? And it was like, you ask them. You just, <laughs> you just ask. sorry, like how do you as like, someone who isn't. Sick. Right. No, like how do you, how do we talk to people on the podcast? Like how do we broach that subject about sexuality? You just ask them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, and, yeah. and it seemed like, it seemed like they thought that we ha- we would probably have, 
you know, this like technique, this very specific technique and all these little things that we try to do. And, oh, like here's the magic key that you can open the box with. And like all of your sexuality questions will be answered. And it's like, no, we just go, Hey, what's like, what's, what's sex like? What's, what's dating like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not rocket science. Yeah. So that's why, why, um, I wrote this article with my friend, sorry, Emily wrote it, but, uh, we, we had to talk about it because no one is. Mm -hmm. So that was a really cool moment this year that I did. And I'm, it felt good to do that. It was scary, but and very personal. What kinds of things did you get into in the article? Um, Mostly just the social dynamics of like dating, just because uh, I didn't really want to talk too much sex about sex on the article. I don't know, but we can go further in on that. But in the the article, we talk about like me as like, let's say I went on a dating app and stuff. Like, how do I disclose my disability before meeting them? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's really tricky because it is a shallow thing as you're swiping. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be like, oh, by the way, I like can't really meet you or it's really tricky to meet you or I might need help with this. And then they're going to be like, oh, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to sign up for this. And so it was a question of like, do we reveal your weakness and vulnerability right off the bat? Or do you tell it later when they can finally like just talk to you as a person first mm-hmm. and then decide, right? So and what's, your, and what's your take on it? Initially, I would only disclose it once I felt I could trust them. Mm-hmm. And... Then eventually I was like, fuck it, man. And I would just like say it during the conversation just to get out of the way. And most of the time they'd be like, yeah, that's cool. Then we meet up. We have a full on dates like for hours and then get home. It's like, cool. That was sweet. Let's hang out again. And they'd be like, then they would ghost me. So I think they think I'm like looking for something serious. Like I'm ready to lock them down the first moment and be like, take care of me for life. Like, let's go. Right. Which is fucked up. But it's like, what if I just wanted to have a one night stand or let's just like hang out? Like, I just want a good time. Yeah. And people think that I'm like looking for a a caregiver or something. Like it's. Do you think that that's, do you think that that's probably, that that's at the heart of that in, in that, that people, people go people can throw up a, a resistance because they're like, even, even when they really, even when they really like end up liking somebody because, you know, have you guys seen the movie 50, 50? Yes. No. Seth Rogen, Joseph I have. Levin. I felt it. Re- yeah. I found it relatable. Yeah. And like I, I was, and, and from both sides too, like in the way that, in the way that, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is dating this girl and like they haven't been dating for a super long time like they're not in like a serious relationship but they're dating I can't remember if they live together but anyway he gets diagnosed with cancer and like and it is this crossroads where you're like holy shit we are we are at like we can go right or we can go left here and we have to really kind of decide carefully how and I think that. that's what happens when they meet me mm-hmm. so I think it's interesting because I think they like me as a person because why would we hang out for like five hours on our first date but then after that they're like oh and then there have been some where it's been a couple dates but then it doesn't like go anywhere yeah it's kind of like in the the movie uh the upside uh with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart um, oh no I haven't Brian seen it. Cranston's um uh quadriplegic and uh he's like writing letters to this woman for a really long time, they end up deciding to meet. And when they get together uh, in person, she knows that he's in a in a power chair, um, and 
in her head, she's she's talked about it. She says that she's like she's talked about it with her therapist and prepared for this, and like she thinks that she's able to do it. And then sitting there with him for an hour or two while they're eating dinner, like the reality of actually being in that situation is is different than what she had anticipated. So then all of a sudden the dynamic changes, and you know, this is a a, a fictional movie, um, but like I think that there's probably an element of that too, where somebody's like, oh okay, like you know, I think this is something that I can handle. And then like they get together with the person and, and they, they, they see what the reality of the situation is. But I don't think that that's limited to, um, dating with a disability. For exactly. Like so you, you have, you could be dating somebody who's able-bodied and, and anticipate that things are going to be a certain way with them. And then after that date, it's different too. Right. Exactly. So, um, Initially, when you first put yourself out there, it's very scary and you're going to think it's me. Like you're always going to think it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm disabled. I'm sick. They're not going to want me. And you start to question your self-worth. But then once you see that, like, and you take a step back and take your disability out of it, you realize like people just aren't ready sometimes. It's just whatever, you know, it's not you. It just depends where it's timing. It's where they are in life. Like Mm -hmm. whatever it is, maybe you guys really didn't jive. And so I just started not taking it personal when things didn't work out. And honestly, um, you know, from it, it, it really kind of can act and maybe you don't see it this way. I'd be curious if you do as, as like a heightened filtration system for, yes. for the, you know, someone who, who that you are really going to have a great relationship with. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I always tell everyone like, yeah, dating's really tough, but I'm so lucky because instantly it filters out all the shitty people. Yeah. Yeah. So totally. I tell that to anyone. Like for instance, I have a friend, she's um an attractive woman who is just very muscular cuz she trains like all day long <laughs> like um but she was complaining how a lot of guys are intimidated to date her, right? Yeah. Cuz like, oh, you can lift more than me like and I said, "Fuck that. You don't want a guy who literally is weaker than you then." Right. Like that. Mm -hmm. So I just said, use that as a it's the same concept. Like you just use as a filter, whatever you think is your weakness. Just be like, fuck it and add more power to it. Yeah. Yeah. So it is an amazing like filtering system for me. Totally. So, um, okay. You said that you're, uh, you're 28 now. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And, um, and you were, you were kind of like diagnosed when you were 17. So, um, I know that today when you came in, you're using a cane to walk and, Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming that because this is a degenerative um, illness that things have progressed Progressed, quite a bit over the last um, 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, What has that 10 years been like? Is there, uh, were there, were there moments along uh, or throughout that time where like all of a sudden something changed and you're like, okay, this is a new level that I'm at now. Oh my God. Almost like, yeah, monthly for sure. Even like I almost feel my ability does change. From day to day. Like some days I'll be tired, of course. And then some days I'm like, great, I feel strong. And then, fuck, fast forward like three, four months. Then I'm like, oh my God, lifting my hand feels suddenly really tired. Like I can't do it. So one thing was like washing my hair is getting tricky. And I was like, oh no, my upper body's catching up. So your your hips and your oh, legs okay. are affected first for limb girdle anyway. And then your upper upper body is. So yeah, washing my hair is getting tricky. Tying my hair is difficult. Um, so it's it's like hitting home for sure that yeah. it's catching up. Yeah. And is, is that is, the, sorry, go ahead, Brian. I was just gonna say is is like how how have you become better at like preparing for your days, um, knowing that you're gonna have to spend more and more time doing things that um, were seen as like 
basically easy tasks um, before this really started to develop. So like things like uh, tying your shoes, oh yeah, that's, bed, starting your day. Like, do you find that you're 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 almost like setting your alarm earlier on like a I have basis to, yeah. Too? For instance, if I'm going anywhere, I definitely give myself an hour or two ahead of time, just because I know like I move slow. Everything takes ten times longer. Like people take shoes off in like thirty seconds. So give me like five minutes, you know, like my day gets eaten up just moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hard to communicate with people who are like, how did you get like nothing done today? And I'm like, all of it was spent trying to move around. Yeah. <laughs> you I, know? I have, <clears throat> I cannot, I cannot say how value, I cannot dis- fully describe how valuable it was to be, to be in, in terms of perspective for accessibility when I was, when I was hurt, like the time spent, like, Oh, I, my, the I I'm gonna start going to massage and physio appointments. Okay, I need to leave. It's only a five minute. It's only a two minute drive down the street. I need to have somebody pick me up. Um, I need or get a cab. I need to. I need to uh, start getting ready 45 minutes before before I want to go because it's gonna take me. It's gonna take me 15 minutes to get my pants on, and I'm gonna and then I'm gonna have to shuffle over. And if I forget something on the other side of the room, then I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to move back over, which is gonna take a couple minutes. But you're moving consciously too, right? Like totally. you can't even just go absent-minded. No, everything has to be so intentional because if I make a wrong move, I might slip, and then my, and then I might hurt I might, yourself I more. Might hurt myself more and fuck up my progress, and like and then the accessibility of things, like you start noticing. You start noticing. Remember when we went out in the wheelchair that that first night when yeah. you took it when we when we wheeled down to the beer store. Yeah, and, and every like, little bump in the in I don't I can't now I don't I haven't noticed it here but um, in Halifax on the old sidewalk so anything that like a, a sidewalk that wasn't laid like recently probably like ten ten or twenty years ago or more in between each slab of concrete there's a little like where the two concretes meet it would go like. It would step down just about a centimeter, maybe less, and then there'd be the cut in the concrete, and then it would step up about a half centimeter, and then keep going. And when you're in a wheelchair in that, you're going like, dum 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 dum, and just everything about the whole experience. I was like, this is fucking crazy. It's hard. There are people that are. I was like, I'm only gonna be like this for three months. There are people there that do this every single day and have been doing it every single day since they were born and are going to be doing it every day until they die. And it's fucking crazy. Yeah. So I think about this, too, because mine happened later in life. So I was super blessed. I was super active. I was running around. So I experienced all that freedom. And then I, it slowly gets taken away from me every mm-hmm. day. And so I don't know what, what like what is harder, like being born with it and not knowing that side. Mm-hmm. Or having it slowly taken away and then have a point of reference to compare back to. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a pretty frequent uh, uh, topic of discussion on the show. Is like um, that, you know, I, I don't I don't know, but I would I would say if I if I had to guess for me, I would say that it'd be harder to get it and have the point of reference. I always compare and I always like think about how much I miss doing certain stuff. Yeah, and a lot of that was like. Playing sports was a big part of me too and moving around and jumping and playing and mm-hmm. being so playful and curious. That, yeah. that was a big part of my personality and I feel like I've had to really shift or at least this disease has changed my personality. I was so reclusive. I never want to be noticed. Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this very short break. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. 
It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. So we talked, we talked a little bit about like uh, challenges with accessibility in the city. Um, what have you found to be some of the, the major problems and difficulties uh, that restrict you from being able to get around um, freely? Lots of places, to be honest. It's like getting in through the door. Um, bathrooms are always, bathrooms is huge. It's like maybe I can get into the restaurant or the place, but the bathroom's like, Three levels down to the border, mm-hmm. like Toronto like a is cellar. Almost always down a, like the a bathroom? steep set of stairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that's really tricky. So the bathroom issue is a whole other thing. Like going to the bathroom as a disabled person is very tricky. So again, another like basic right denied. It's almost like if I can't access the bathroom, I will not drink any liquids that day. Like if I know, Fuck. which is hard. So I will go out purposely not drink anything. Yeah. Um, I'll make sure, like, I have to plan everything. It's like you said, like, you really have to think about every step. So I always have to Google where I'm going. I have to look at images. I'll call in. Um, You know, I have to time how long it'll take for me to get ready. Then I have to coordinate a ride with someone. So it's like, (laughs) it's a lot of work. It's so nuts. You just never, you just never think, you just never, you never think about these things. Like, I, I. I, yeah. But that's the thing. I I used to never talk about it. So everyone was like, oh, you're good. You're still kind of walking. You seem happy. You still seem like, hey, so like you're fine. And I don't think I ever illustrated how hard it is. Like to correlate the drinking thing, the drinking and the bathroom accessibility. It's tough. Like that's like, I would be, I would be incredibly surprised if anybody listening to this who isn't disabled thinks about that and how, and how how crazy that is it's it's a weird topic to talk about because you're like it's a bathroom it's so private right mm-hmm. but a lot of it is like um if the toilet's too low like how are you supposed to get up from it or sit down mm-hmm. and even get your chair in and then transfer comfortably and do all this stuff right so um it is a tricky thing to do you, deal do with you always need um Support or help in going to the bathroom now? Like, that's the other thing with what you said earlier, where, you know, there's a moment where I'm like, shit, it's starting to really catch up. Going to the bathroom has become difficult in the last couple of years, right? So, like, I mean, that, definitely. That happened need- when you arrived here. So, you, people can't see this, but you you came with your partner. Yeah. And uh, the first thing you said, you're like, hey, I use the bathroom. And we're like, yeah, yeah, right there. And we just continue into the hotel room to, like, you know, set up the gear. And then I noticed that you asked your partner, you're like, uh, I'm going to need you to help me in here. Yeah, you know how hard that is to get to that. Like now I don't care, but initially, damn, that is like some serious vulnerability to go to someone. Maybe what if it's not someone that is your partner or family member or whoever? You have to be like, hey, friend, I really need to go to the bathroom. You mind coming with me and watch me do yeah. my thing, and then I think it's, I think it's a great icebreaker, to be honest. <laughs> you know that you did know? bond me with me and one of my girlfriends. Yeah, so yeah, it was. Uh, it's. I remember once I, uh, um, Becca, my girlfriend, was sitting on the toilet peeing, 
And uh, I walked Don't in. Don't tell this story. <laughs> and you I, shouldn't. I had to pee really bad. Do you want me to and save I, you? I'm, no. sa- I'm giving you the opportunity. I got to say it. Say this, it. This was, this was like a, a moment in our relationship where everything changed. I had to pee. She was peeing. I couldn't hold it. So I, I demanded that she spread her legs while she's peeing on the toilet. And I was like, I can get it between there. I swear. Don't say demanded either. I demanded it. <laughs> and she didn't trust me. But she was quite surprised and I think elated when I actually was elated. To, yes, of oh, course. Oh, because you didn't pee on her. Maybe, oh, right. Maybe that's why she was elated. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a great I skill. She was just like, dude, you are fucking on it. Yeah, that's talent. It. I know. Thank you. It's, you know, thank you so much, Kate. Guys too. always think about that. I, I'm telling you, like, it's not. I think someone asked me too. It was like, have you ever gone to the bathroom with your partner peeing between your legs? I said, no. But. Accuracy. It's a it's a yeah. thing. It's, it's a, a thing. thing. Yeah. And it's accuracy thing. is our thing. It's basically this. It's the P version of doing the spider on a swing set. But also, people probably do in the shower <laughs> anyways. It's nothing weird. It's just outside of the shower, like That's wherever. Right. That's right. right. Exactly. It still drains. But the point is, it does bring you closer. <laughs> yeah, it really does. I I got out of the hospital and uh, and I was on opioids in the hospital, so I wasn't I wasn't shitting. Like it was just it completely constipates you. So. I get out of the hospital and I had to take some laxatives. And finally, after like like 10 days, I finally had a bowel movement, which was like, you know, life changing. And I'm sitting on the toilet. Yeah, yeah. That's dude. a long time. Yeah, dude, it was insane. And I'm sitting on the toilet. And did uh, you just shit like an actual brick? Well, I took, no, I took Senna and it was actually horrible. Oh. And, and then a pharmacist was like, don't take Senna when you've been constipated like that for that long because. Senna is really, um, it's great, but, but what is Senna? Senna is like a, it's a natural, uh, it's like a natural laxative. It's like a, it's an, it's a herb that comes in pill form. Um, and, uh, and it, it takes about 12 hours or so. So if you take it, if you take it the night before, you're going to go to the bathroom like the next morning or next, like, you know, whatever. And, um, and I took, like Kyla takes it all the time and I took the same dose that Kyla takes Kyle's got a fucked up digestive system. She like rarely goes to the bathroom. So yeah, I, girls don't poop. Right, right, this, exactly. This is, this She's known, she, a known fact. <laughs> a known fact. Girls don't poop. And I, <laughs> so I take Senna. I take the same dose that she takes. And I'm sitting on the I'm sitting on the toilet the next morning, and I have a bowel movement. And then I take more because I'm like, oh well, it's been a while. I should take some more. And like the whole day, my I went to the bathroom probably like seven or eight times. And it was literally, it was like, it was like, um, manufactured diarrhea, you know, like I didn't have diarrhea, but I basically gave myself, gave myself diarrhea because I just shit until there was nothing (laughs) left in me. But the reason I brought this up in the first place, (laughs) goddamn, was because I sat down on the toilet and this one function that I have done myself since I was like, I don't know, three or four years old is wipe my own ass. And my ribs were broken. And I went, oh, fuck. I can't do this. K- Kyla. No. <laughs> yeah. Kyla had to come in and wipe my ass for me. Because, oh, that's crazy. Because I, I couldn't do it. And I'm like, well, I, you know what? I'm not just going to stand up and fucking put my underwear back on. You know on. what like, would have saved you there? <laughs> the tushy. You're right. <laughs> and then I went, we need a bidet. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, those are really good, apparently. Moral well. of the story. Honestly. Get and I, honestly, it would be, probably be a pretty great thing for some people with disabilities as well. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Yeah. yeah. Some people <laughs> rave about that Japanese toilet seat that like heats up and yeah. does all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, we the had one of those at our- Washlet 3000. Remember we had- Remember the- the, uh, the toilet. Remember yeah. the uh, <laughs> the one that we had in uh, that hotel room in Vegas? Yeah, the Toto Washlet 3000. Is that what it was? Yes. Yeah. Total Wash- Toto Washlet Three thousand, <laughs> just in case anybody's interested. That's actually such a great idea. Like a day for disabled people. I didn't even think of that. And it's way nicer than wiping your ass anyway. It feels great, and Honestly. you're saving the planet. Less pa- yeah, yeah, less toilet paper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there. I, I, I am really just. I am really fascinated all the, at all the different areas where you can find accessibility that you never really thought of. Like how incredible it is for um, to have like smart homes. Um, you know, you can use your voice to turn lights on, to mm-hmm. turn stoves on, to turn, uh, to lock doors, to basically do, to do everything. And obviously it's not like it's a, it's super cheap or, or financially accessible to everybody, but, but you can, you can have those things and they make a huge difference. But like you've got a phone, you've got Siri, you can like, it's crazy. So I'm going to tell you this, you need money to be disabled. Okay. Because everything's so expensive just mm. to accommodate your needs. Yeah. It's like, I've spent a lot of my money cabbing around. I've spent a lot of money just trying to maybe like adapt something that I need. Um, you know, all the supplements and medicine I need or whatever it is. Right. Mm. So it's like, I spent all my money on that. I don't get to spend my money just go buy like a t-shirt or go shopping on just whatever it is. Like all of it goes to literally like surviving mm-hmm. and making my life or my quality of life better. What What do you do for work? I am a freelance designer. So I'm really fortunate. My job allows me to work from home. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. But uh, that also was kind of forced that way because a lot of the places, again, are inaccessible. Mm-hmm. So I can't even get into the place. And I would deal with ableism when I would apply for places too because I'd be like, yeah, you seem like a liability. <laughs> like you seem like an inconvenience. Like right. they didn't say it, but you know. Right. You can, t- you can, you feel, can, you can feel and you can tell and people get weird around me. Do you mm-hmm. do design work uh, around accessibility? I am trying to switch more into that actually. There should be more of that. And um, I just think it's just like in some ways I was super blessed because I happened to love design and then I got sick and then now I have a skill set with firsthand insight to be able to mm-hmm. exceed it. That's really cool. Did it, did it inform, did your, um, did your, uh, MD inform your, uh, your work choice or, or, or your, um, or the desire to go, to go into something that would allow you the flexibility, like working from home? No, I don't know. I think it was a coincidence. (laughs) Yeah, I've always loved graphic design and branding and stuff. And Mm. then um, I kind of had to make it work. You know, I fought so hard to go to university because not a lot of people in my family went and they're like immigrant like parents. Right. So education is just really huge to us. And I was like, I got to do it. I got to go to university. And and I did it with my disability. So that was a huge, huge feat for me to achieve my bachelor's. <laughs> How did you find your experience with university and like professors and stuff? And I, like, I, I'm, I, here, I'll, I'll ask that question. And I'll tell you the backstory behind it afterwards. But okay, um, most teachers didn't know I was really lucky. You just go in and sit down, and sometimes you get up and present stuff and whatever. And at that time, I could still get up from the chair like a little bit smoothly without anyone really knowing and kind of just got by without like causing any crazy red flags. And then after class, I would just like go straight home and not make any friends. Like I was really, really like such an introvert and just reclusive. Mm -hmm. But um, 
Then towards the end of my university years, I started to feel my symptoms more obviously. So I got weaker. And um, in the wintertime, God, it was so fucking like icy and and cold and snowy that I it's like impossible to go outside with, you know, I can't even, I would slip right away. Like I couldn't even walk through, couldn't leave my house in the winter. So I had to miss some of my thesis classes and my one prof just like was like, nah, I can't send you the notes. You're not here. And then I would just go in the following week and wing it and then fail. And then he'd be like, well, that's what you get because you weren't here. And mm, so I'd be God, like, I have sucks. this. And so I would try to fight for it. And some people just didn't believe me because it's, it's semi-invisible, right? Obviously, you see I walk a bit slow or whatever. They but don't believe you? I, never, I didn't use a cane in university. Oh, okay. So I, what pushed me was like, I'm so tired of people not believing me and understanding the severity of how much this fucking sucks. Yeah, mm. and kind of crazy that you need that. I you had to, to signal like prove it. to people to be like, hey, if I fall, don't just leave me there. I've fallen without the cane and no one helped me. How uh, long have you been using the cane? Two years now. Life-changing. People open the doors for me now. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Is there is there uh, any physical therapy that you do? Uh, yeah, I just started seeking out um, some rehab like last year. But the crazy thing is it's so expensive, right? So and the government doesn't cover it. For years, I was wondering why, because I'm on disability. So I try to seek all the, the programs because they're there. They're, mm-hmm. The services are there to help you and make your life easier. Um, is it possible for you to like strengthen the muscles around your hips and your shoulders to be able to like, um, you know, remain like stable or like, yeah, like to, to slow the degeneration of the muscles. I think you can. If you just, I, I fell into yoga. I like really love like stretching and doing my breathing exercises. Um, I do my weird form of yoga cause I can't do the poses that you like stereotypically, stereotypically think of yoga. Mm-hmm. So I've joined a hot yoga class before just to see what's up and they were like up and down up and down i sat there feeling so fucking shitty because i couldn't participate mm-hmm. so i just like writh around at home and like smoke some weed and just like do my stretches yeah. and my breathing exercises and yeah i fell into that's like my way of coping and managing the symptoms mm-hmm. so instead of always trying to find a cure my method is just to treat the symptoms and you know coast along i guess um the the reason that i asked that question before was because i was i was uh, I was reminded of, um, and now I, re- I would like, if you guys remember what she had, I can't remember. Do you remember the woman that we talked to at, uh, Spore, Ottawa, who was going to In med school? In the exoskeleton school? suit? Yeah. Yo, I want one of those. Yeah. So does she have muscular dystrophy? I don't, I don't remember. It was so brief. Um, but she was wearing this badass robotic exoskeleton it was like a full-on like suit it made made this noise well i can't do it yeah (laughs) yeah like she it had it was like a it was like a brace like an electronic brace that was around her waist Mm -hmm. and then down her legs i can't remember if she had it on her arms as well Uh, yeah she had she had gatling guns on both arms (laughs) (laughs) she was uh Fuck! What was what's that? What's that PC game when you're the, like the Mech Warriors? Mech or? Warriors, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and she was uh, she was the reason that I, that I thought about that was because of because when Brian said you know can you strengthen the muscles or anything like that it kind of it 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 came from another angle there, um, and she was going to medical school and they basically said don't go to medical school and she was like well right. my mind's what are you talking about like. Like, 
I get it. I get that maybe surgery isn't the isn't the field that I should go into. But like, why can't I go into medicine? Like, uh, this is my passion. This is where I want to fall. And they were just like, it's going to be too hard for you. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, right? <laughs> isn't that no. fucking crazy? <laughs> Sorry. And that's it's just fucking crazy. And that's where that that's where the the question about you, your university experience came from. But then, like, is that something? Is in a perfect world, is that like exoskeleton thing, like something that... I was looking into that for the last two years and it's just super expensive, but also I'm pretty sure... Like, because I want to travel and I, I feel like I'm robbed of that, obviously. Yeah. So exoskeleton would be the solution to go see the world with one of those, but it's like 20K or something. It's not really made for like right. normal yeah. people. Right. What um, did you... Uh, you whip something up there on your phone. I did. So I was going to ask you. I went to a disability... Uh, not like a convention. Just talk, make sure you hit, Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, okay. it's, <laughs> it's not like a... I think it's a disability convention, but mm-hmm. was it something like this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was exactly like that. Oh, that thing's got like it shin pads exactly and everything. Like so I talked to those people. I don't I think, think she was... also had a piece that was like on her chest, shoulders. Oh, and she arms. had a real one. I think so. I think it was on her upper body as well. I can't remember. No, am I, I don't, completely I don't wrong? Think, I don't think so either. No, it was but just that. Maybe. Oh, okay, maybe I'm. So the next best movie. thing watching for watching too much Sorry. Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be really cool to be like half robot, I guess. But um, <laughs> I had spoken to those people. They just said it probably wouldn't work for me because it's not, again, it's not targeted towards people with uh, neuromuscular disorders. We're just too weak to even like use it to stand up in. So they don't like to promise and work with people with MD. Right. So. I mean, well, in a perfect world, you'd be able to go and like test, like test one and go like, how does it feel? Like, does it work? There are these knee braces that seem really cool. They're called spring loaded technology Mm -hmm. and they're in Halifax. Oh yeah, yeah. Interesting. So that's really cool. But they're about like the three- company is called Spring Loaded Technology. Yeah, check it out. So they were more geared towards like athletes. But yeah. I was like, maybe it might well, work for I me. Well, I mean, I mean, the interesting thing about it, like if you make it, if you're making it for an athletic purpose, it's it's it will almost certainly do the job for like a day to day. They have a 16 year old girl on there with MD. I don't know what type. I think it is limb girl, but a different type from mine. Mm-hmm. And she's walking in it. She's climbing stairs. Um, and they said that they have seen muscle growth within her by using it, Wow, which cool. is wild. Yeah. I'm oh. just like trying to get my hands on it, but it's just expensive because right. yeah. <laughs> I believe in training my body. I really think there's a mind muscle connection and, um, I really try to like channel that. It sounds crazy, but I really believe in energy and the science behind, um, really rewiring your brain and mm-hmm. your cells. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was reading this book called Hardwiring Happiness. I was like, I guess depressed or something. And I'm like, I'm tired of this. I don't know how to, you know, when you're in such a. You just were like, nah, I was like, whatever, depressed. Or yeah. Something. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, no, but it was weird because I was like coasting by in life. But something at the core of me just felt fucking just, ah, I don't know. I just needed something to change. And I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out what it was. You know, when you're like, everything seems great around me aside from having MD. But like, I was just like, something needs to change. So then I went down this like spiritual path and I'm like much happier because of it because yeah. I'm how, more how grateful. How long ago was that? It's last week. <laughs> <laughs> last night. Um, 2014. Okay. So yeah, it was hard. Like really trying to completely overhaul my whole lifestyle. Yeah. You mentioned that you, uh, you've only really started talking about this in like the last year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, I, like what was the catalyst for, for that? Was there something that made you think, Oh, I need like I should be talking about this more because it's more healthy for me to do that. 
Was there anything that like triggered you to do that or was that just something that kind of like naturally happened? Man, I don't, I don't really <laughs> remember when, but I, uh, a friend of mine had taken a photo of me with my cane and then I must have just felt like I was in a rut and I thought, you know, something needs to change. Like this is a part of me now that there's no point of not talking about it, but there's like this weirdness around putting yourself out there too much online where people are like, oh my God, you're so annoying. Like you're so self-centered. Like it, there was that fear of looking like that person, mm-hmm. but I said, fuck it. And I announced it to the world and I like did it on national, like international rare disease day or something. Okay. And then after that, I was like, shit, fuck. Now I don't give a fuck about anything. I just got it off my chest and just like things felt so much better. Yeah. I instantly was like, I don't give a fuck anymore what people think. Cause I already threw it out there. No one can say shit. Like this is what I have. And after that, I just kind of like slowly played with the idea of kind of releasing social posts about my experiences. Um, and then in the last year, I've been more active. So I'm still relatively new to this, but it was it's scarring because I've had a lot of bad experiences where um, people just don't get it. And that was my fear of not speaking up in the first place. Does that and, make sense? Do you have any examples of that? Oh, yeah. Um Recently, or just last year, a good friend of mine that, like, one of, I would consider a best friend of mine, uh, last fall, I don't know what happened, but we went to the cottage, and then things got weird, and then after the cottage, we had, like, went to the concert, and then had a talk, and he confronted me, and I don't even know why, but he talked about a bunch of stuff and said, like, you know, I miss the old K, Um, what, what you talk about online is so over like it's so overwhelming and like you know you don't need to talk about it it doesn't define you that's not what you should be telling people and I thought like who the fuck are you to tell me what I'm doing like don't you understand like I'm saying something for my community I'm not speaking to you anyway and you're not a friend and I was like fuck that I was pissed because mm-hmm. he wasn't supportive and he didn't understand how personal this was for me and how much of a big step this was for me to share my story and so he kind of validated all my fears and that was the beginning of like really putting myself out there. But also like what a, what a brilliant way to figure out, Oh, now I know I definitely don't need to put energy into hanging out with this. Asshole. I cut him off like right off. Yeah. That. Like yeah. that, like that is that what you just said is like what the, what the, the bad guy says in the movie with that, the person in the movie that you're like meant to hate, you yeah. know, like that is just, a shitty person. It was, it was so hurtful. You know? Um, it, you know, that was really traumatic because I had to really sit with that echoing in the back of my mind every time I even said anything about my experiences and sharing it. And um, yeah, he really validated all my fears of like, no one can relate. Everyone thinks you're annoying. Like he, he was like, when we were at the cottage and you had your feet by the fireplace, why did you ask me to move it? I'm like, because I, I couldn't move it. Like my shoe was like it, the rubber was melting off the sole, but I didn't notice because I couldn't feel it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's a little hot, but man, I'm good. Like I'm not on fire. And I didn't notice. But then eventually I was like, shit, my shoe's melting. And he's, I was like, can you help me move it? Because it was so cold outside. We, um, and then he just brought that up during the talk and was like, why did you ask me to do it? You can do it yourself. And I'm like, no, I can't. And he's like, you just want attention. I'm like, between you and my other best friend, I was fucked. Fast forward months later, I found out he had unresolved feelings for me. So uh, he just got weird and attacked me where he knew it would hurt. But I feel like this happened for a reason because it really 
infuriated me. I was so fucking pissed because I was like, how dare you like have no compassion for people like me, but just like to judge and be so awful to someone who needs your support and compassion. Like I was so mad. So I thought there's plenty of people like you out there who don't understand. And it really encouraged me to really say something and educate people because that's just ignorance. I was so fucking pissed. And on online social platforms, podcasting, YouTube, like they are, there's, there's plenty of ways. And we, we talk about this pretty often. There's plenty of ways that the internet can be used for shitty purposes. And there's plenty of ways that can be made for used for really great ones. And, um, using those platforms to kind of spread a, a, a positive message and a message that a message that a lot of people need to hear. Like one of the best things about our podcast, at least from a feedback perspective is, is that we do an episode with somebody uh, and then somebody writes us and says, uh, you know, I've really felt like I was going through this alone and like, n- and no one really got it. And now I listen to this and I'm realize there's somebody out there. I completely relate to them. It makes me feel stronger and better about everything that I'm going through. Um, and makes it, it gives you a, a, the feeling of community and Instagram does the same thing and YouTube and Facebook, they can all do the same thing. Like you're speaking to an audience, you're giving a positive message, um, being truthful about, you know, the shittiness or the things that you got to deal with. But we have to talk about it. Yeah. Like, honestly, if we don't talk about it, people won't know and they'll never be aware. So nothing's going to improve or change. Right. So mm-hmm. we really do have to like kind of make a fuss about things when things don't work out. Yeah. And so I just recently learned of this word called a self-advocate. And what that means is like just kind of making noise about how inaccessible things are to you with like funding, um, you know, buildings, like whatever it is, because you can't access those resources. So you you just got to like advocate for yourself and be like, fuck, I can't, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. So the more people make noises like that, the more that someone will take notice and be like, okay, we'll change yeah. that. Right. I mean, it's kind so, of, the, it's kind of the bedrock of like our, of you know, democracy is like, if you, if you, if enough people are making noise about something, then eventually slowly <laughs> things, things yeah. happen. Yeah. You know, and, but if you don't stand up, and you don't talk about it. And if the community doesn't, if a community doesn't rally around whatever it is that someone's talking about and making noise about, then nothing ever happens. Yeah. So that's the crazy part. Like I, after that experience, it was really hurtful and traumatic, but, um, it really inspired and pushed me to do that, do more advocating for MD because of like, that was shitty. I don't want anyone else to feel like even more alone. Like Throughout my youth, I felt very alone. And now that I've kind of put myself out there more, I realize I'm not even speaking to my friends or my world anymore. I'm, I'm talking to people who are dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And it's been so freaking cool because people message me like, I had a 14-year-old girl go, I uh, felt very alone and I'm so glad I found you because like there was no one else living <laughs> with this. And now I know that things will be okay. Mm-hmm. And she's 14 and it was so heartwarming, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so now I realize I'm like, yeah, like it's so cool to be part of a community. I was missing that before. Yeah. yeah. And you see yourself in that, you know, like you're like, I was, I was there. I was, I was there. Yeah. I was, I was like, when I was 14, I had no one to talk to. Mm-hmm. Not even until like three years ago, except for like maybe my best friend or whatever. But even then I never really hit home how hard it is because it's like no point complaining sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's just the way of life. Um, what, what would you say is the biggest thing that um, muscular dystrophy has taken away from you? Sorry, one second. Um, not to be dramatic, but like literally a bit of everything. Um, freedom, for sure. I can't go do what I want when I want. I always have to coordinate with someone. 
So with that in my independence, I can never be alone. I can't even go for a walk in the park by myself and enjoy some solitude. Like, I don't get that. Um, a lot of experiences and opportunities. So like, you know, traveling is something I couldn't do. A lot of jobs or like a social event. And then time. Time is the biggest one too. Like time spent with people and doing things for myself, but then time from being myself. So that's, yeah, pretty tough. What would you say is the biggest thing it's given you? My parking permit. (laughs) (laughs) It is fucking rad. Like it really helps a lot. So I'm really grateful for it. But on a serious note, like (laughs) that's really funny. (laughs) MD has been my greatest teacher. Like it's given me so much depth, Um, like humility, compassion, uh, spirituality. That's a big one. I don't even know who the fuck I would have been if I didn't end up falling into such a dark place and then finding the light again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the community. Man, like, I can't join sports, so I don't have friends to be like, yo, let's go cycle. Let's go, like, do yoga and stuff. Like, I do everything alone mm-hmm. um, in that sense with, like, treatment or hobbies um, because I can't participate. I can't go for a bike ride. Like, that fucking sucks. Um but now I have this MD community online and like, thank God for the internet because all my friends are there and like we chat and I have people from like Barcelona messaging me and from the States and it's like, that's so fucking cool. I've got some like worldwide friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> So yeah, that's like the really cool thing. Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I have a feeling that, um, you know, being on here and sharing your story will also play a big role in, in reaching out to those people that that need to hear it the most and and i hope that uh you know if anyone's listening and they want to they want to see the work that you're doing or or it do you, like do you have instagram or you i do have instagram so it's at 11 wait at letter 11 at letter 11 so like spelt out letter and then 11 spelt out cool so uh well thank you for coming in today thanks and for having me yeah this really means a lot yeah this means a lot to me you guys are so awesome uh, and thank you all so much for tuning in. Brian, take it away. <laughs> uh, if you want to help us spread this message out and get more ears on the podcast, please, 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 it's so important for us, uh, for you to go to uh, Apple Podcasts and leave a rating review and subscribe to the rate, podcast if you haven't done already. That's right. Um, super important. That helps us uh, keep us up on the charts and uh, get some message out to more and more people every single day. And we are here in Toronto and we are in Vancouver and Calgary with the help of our patrons on patreon.com. If you want to help us out and contribute, patreon.com slash sickboy, major, major help. Big, uh, big ups to everybody who's who's helped us along the way um, and everyone who will will help us in the future. If you want to do that again, it is patreon.com slash sickboy. And a big shout out to Donovan the CPAP Morgan for the amazing sound design on this podcast. Donovan, thanks for making it sound like we're in an airplane on the way home after a long uh, trip here in Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, Banff. I'm thinking like an airplane where we're wearing uh, noise canceling headphones. I'm thinking like the intro to to, uh, back in the USSR. uh, Well, no, I was going to say listening to uh, a Royal North song on our our, uh, noise canceling headphones on an airplane. Good luck. But the the plane sound from back in the USSR. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, usually our theme music is by Jamesy, but uh, as you're probably hearing right now, we're being played out today by a song from the Royal North. Hey So uh, thanks to Donovan, thanks to Jamesy, and uh, thanks everybody else. That's all for this week. 
I'm Brian. I'm Jeremy. That's Jeremy over there. I'm Taylor. I'm Kay. And this is Sick. sick. This is Sick this Boy. Is this is yeah, you guys nailed it. Sick. This is Sick Boy. We're at a turn. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.